Section 1 of Four Science Fiction Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kurt Ziegler, Lake Placid, Florida. Four Science Stories by Alan E. Norse. Bear Trap, Part 1. The huge transport plane eased down through the rainy drizzle enshrouding New York International Airport about five o'clock in the evening. Tom Shandor glanced sourly through the port at the wet landing strip, saw the dim landing lights reflected in the steaming puddles. On an adjacent field he could see the rows and rows of jet fighters, wings up in the foggy rain, poised like ridiculous birds in the darkness. With a sigh he ripped the sheet of paper from the small, battered portable typewriter on his laptop and zipped the machine up in its slicker case. Across the troop hole the soldiers were beginning to stir, yawning, shifting their packs, collecting their gear. Occasionally they stared at Shandor as if he were totally alien to their midst, and he shivered a little as he collected the sheets of paper scattered on the deck around him. Checked the date, 27 September 1982, and rolled them up to fit in the slim round mailing container. Ten minutes later he was shouldering his way through the crowd of khaki-clad men, scowling up at the sky, his nondescript fedora jammed down over his eyes to keep out the rain, slicker collar pulled up about his ears. At the gangway he stopped before a tired-looking lieutenant and flashed the small fluorescent card in his palm. Public Information Board. The officer nodded wearily and gave his coat and typewriter a cursory check, then motioned him on. He strode across the wet field, scowling at the fog, toward the dimmed-out waiting rooms. He found a mailing chute and popped the mailing tube down the slot as if he were glad to be rid of it. Into the speaker he said, Special delivery, PIB business. It goes to press tonight. The female voice from the speaker said something, and the red clear signal blinked. Shander slipped off his hat and shook it, then stopped at a coffee machine and extracted a cup of steaming stuff from the bottom after trying the coin three times. Finally he walked across the room to an empty video booth and sat down into the chair with an exhausted sigh. Flipping a switch he waited several minutes for an operator to appear. He gave her a number and then said, Let's scramble it, please. Official? He showed her the card and settled back, his whole body tired. He was a tall man, rather slender, with flat, bland features, punctuated only by blonde carrot-shaped eyebrows. His gray eyes were heavy-lidded now, his mouth an expressionless line as he waited, sunk back into his coat with a long cultivated air of lifeless boredom. He watched the screen without interest as it bleeped a time or two, then shifted into the familiar scrambled image pattern. After a moment he muttered the public information board audio code words, and saw the screen even out into the clear image of a large, heavy-set man at a desk. Heart, said Chander. Story's on its way. I just dropped it from the airport a minute ago, with a rush tag on it. You should have it for the morning editions. The big man in the screen blinked, and his heavy face lit up. The story on the rocket project? Shandor nodded. The whole scoop. I'm going home now. 
he started his hand for the cut-off switch. Wait a minute. Hart picked up a pencil and fiddled with it for a moment. He glanced over his shoulder, and his voice dropped a little. Is the line scrambled? Shander nodded. What's the scoop, boy? How's the rocket project coming? Shander grinned wryly. Read the report, Daddy. Everything's just ducky. Of course it's all ready for press. You've got the story. Why should I repeat it? Hart scowled impatiently. No, no, I mean the scoop, the real stuff. How's the project going? Not so hot. Shander's face was weary. Material cutoff is holding them up something awful. Among other things, the sabotage has really fouled up the West Coast trains, and shipments haven't been coming through on schedule. You know, they ask for one thing, and get the wrong weight, or their supplier is out of material, or something goes wrong. And there's personnel trouble, too. Too much direction and too little work. It's beginning to look as if they'll never get going. And now it looks like there's going to be another administration shake-up, and you know what that means. Hart nodded thoughtfully. They'd better get hopping, he muttered. The conference in Berlin is on the skids. It could be ours now. He looked up. But you got the story rigged, all right? Shander's face flattened into distaste. Sure, sure. You know me, Hart. Anything to keep the people happy. Everything's running as smooth as satin. Work going fine, except a test run in a month, and we should be on the moon in half a year, more or less, maybe. We hope the usual swill. I'll be in to work out the war stories in the morning. Right now I'm for bed. He snapped off the video before Hart could interrupt and started for the door. The rain hit him as he stepped out, with a wave of cold, wet depression. But a cab slid up to the curb before him and he stepped in. Sinking back, he tried to relax, to get his stomach to stop complaining. But he couldn't fight the feeling of almost physical illness sweeping over him. He closed his eyes and sank back, trying to drive the ever-plaguing thoughts from his mind, trying to focus on something pleasant, almost hoping that his long-starved conscience might give a final grasp or two and die altogether. But deep in his mind he knew that his screaming conscience was almost the only thing that held him together. Lies, he thought to himself bitterly. White lies, black lies, whoppers, you could take your choice. There should be a flaming neon sign flashing across the sky, telling all people, Public Information Board, Fabrication Corporation, fabricating of all lies neatly and expeditiously done. He squirmed, feeling the rebellion grow in his mind. Propaganda, they called it. A nice word, such a very handy word, covering a multitude of seething pots. PIB was the grand clearinghouse, the last censor of censors. And he, Tom Shandor, was the chief fabricator and purveyor of lies. He shook his head, trying to get a breath of clean air in the damp cab. Sometimes he wondered where it was leading, where it would finally end up, and what would happen if the people ever really learned, or ever listened to the clever ones who tried to sneak the truth into print somewhere. But people couldn't be told the truth. They had to be coddled, urged, pushed along. They had to be kept somehow happy, somehow hopeful. They had to be kept whipped up to fever pitch, 
because the long, long years of war and near war had exhausted them, worried them beyond natural resiliency. No, they had to be spiked, urged and goaded. What would happen if they learned? He sighed. No one, it seemed, could do it as well as he. No one could take a story of bitter diplomatic fighting in Berlin and simmer it down to a public, palatable, peaceful, and progressive meeting. No one could quite so skillfully reduce the bloody fighting in India to a mild enemy loss topping American losses twenty to one. And our boys are fighting staunchly, bravely. No one could write out the lies quite so neatly, so smoothly as Tom Shander. The cab swung into his house and he stepped out, tipped the driver, and walked up the walk, eager for the warm dry room. Coffee helped sometimes when he felt this way, but other things helped even more. He didn't even take his coat off before mixing and drowning a stiff fry in ginger, and he was almost forgetting his unhappy conscience by the time the video began blinking. He flipped the receiver switch and sat down groggily, blinked at John Hart's heavy face as it materialized on the screen. Hart's eyes were wide, his voice tight and nervous as he leaned forward. "'You better get into the office pronto,' he said, his eyes bright. "'You've really got a story to work on now.' Shandor blinked. "'The war?' Hart took a deep breath. "'Worse,' he said. "'David Ingersoll is dead.' Tom Shandor shouldered his way through the crowd of men in the anteroom and went into the inner office. Closing the door behind him coolly, he faced the man at the desk and threw a thumb over his shoulder. "'Who's the goons?' he growled. "'You haven't released a story yet?' John Hart sighed, his pinkish face drawn. "'The press. I don't know how they got the word. There hasn't been a word released, but—' He shrugged and motioned Shander to have a seat. You know how it goes. Shander sat down, his face blank, eyeing the information chief woodenly. The room was silent for a moment, a tense, anticipatory silence. Then Hart said, The rocket story was great, Tommy, a real writing job. You've got the touch when it comes to a ticklish news release. Shander allowed an expression of distaste to cross his face. He looked at the chubby man across the desk and felt the distaste deepen and crystallize. John Hart's face was round, with little lines going up from the eyes. An almost grotesque, burlesque comic face that belied the icy practical nature of the man behind it. A thoroughly distasteful face, Shander thought. Finally, he said, the story, John, on Ingersoll. Let's have it, straight out. Hart shrugged his stocky shoulders, spreading his hands. Ingersoll's dead, he said. That's all there is to it. He's stone-cold dead. But he can't be dead, roared Shander, his face flushed. We just can't afford to have him dead. Hart looked up wearily. Look, I didn't kill him. He went home from the White House this evening, apparently sound enough, after a long, stiff, nasty conference with the President. Ingersoll wanted to go to Berlin and call a showdown at the international conference there, and he had a policy brawl with the president, and the president wouldn't let him go, sent an undersecretary instead, and threatened to kick Ingersoll out of the cabinet unless he quieted down. Ingersoll got home at 4.30, cut
collapsed at five, and he was dead before the doctor arrived. Cerebral hemorrhage, pretty straightforward. Ingersoll's been killing himself for years, he knew it, and everyone else in Washington knew it. It was bound to happen sooner or later. He was trying to prevent a war, said Shander Dolly, and he was all by himself. Nobody else wanted to stop it. Nobody that mattered at any rate. Only the people didn't want war, and whoever listens to them. Ingersoll got the people behind him, so they gave him a couple of Nobel Peace Prizes and made him Secretary of State, and then cut his throat every time he tried to do anything. No wonder he's dead. Hart shrugged again, eloquently indifferent. So he was a nice guy. He wanted to prevent a war. As far as I'm concerned, he was a pain in the neck, the way he was forever jumping down information's throat. But he's dead now. He isn't around any more. His eyes narrowed sharply. The important thing, Tommy, is that the people don't like it that he's dead. They trusted him. He's been the people's golden boy, their last-ditch hope for peace. If they think their last chance has gone with his death, they're going to be mad. They won't like it, and there'll be hell to pay. Shandor lit a smoke with trembling fingers, his eyes smoldering. So the people have to be eased out of the picture, he said flatly. They've got to get the story so they won't be so angry. Hart nodded, grinning. We've got to have a real story, Tommy. Big, blown up. What a great guy he was. Defender of the peace. Greatest, most influential man in America has turned out since the half century. You know what they lap up, the usual garbage, only on a slightly higher plane. They've got to think that he's really saved them, that he's turned over the reins to other hands just as worthy as his. You can give the president a big hand there. They've got to think his work is the basis of our present foreign policy. Can't you see the implications? It's got to be spread on with a trowel, laid on skillfully. Shander's face flushed deep red, and he ground the stub of his smoke out viciously. I'm sick of this stuff, Hart, he exploded. I'm sick of you. I'm sick of this whole rotten setup. This business of writing reams and reams of lies to just keep things under control. Ingersoll was a great man, a really great man, and he was wasted, thrown away. He worked to make peace, and he got laughed at. He hasn't done a thing, because he couldn't. Everything he has tried has been useless, wasted. That's the truth. Why not tell that to the people? Hart stared. Get hold of yourself, he snapped. You know your job. There's a story to write. The life of David Ingersoll. That has to go down smooth. His dark eyes shifted to his hands and back sharply to Shander. A propagandist has to write it, Tommy. An ace propagandist. You're the only one I know that could do the job. Not me, said Shander flatly, standing up. Count me out. I'm through with this, as of now. Get yourself some other whipping boy. Ingersoll was one man people could trust. And he was one man I could never face. I'm not good enough for him to spit on, and I'm not going to sell him down the river now that he's dead. With a little sigh, John Hart reached into his desk. That's very odd, he said softly. 
because Ingersoll left a message for you. Shanders snapped about, eyes wide. Message? The chubby man handed him a small envelope. Apparently he wrote that a long time ago, told his daughter to send it to public information board immediately in the event of his death. Read it. Shander unfolded the thin paper and blinking unbelievingly. In the event of my death during the next few months, a certain amount of biographical writing will be inevitable. It is my express wish that this writing, in whatever form it may take, be done by Mr. Thomas L. Shander, staff writer of the Federal Public Information Board. I believe that man alone is qualified to handle this assignment. Signed, David P. Ingersoll, Secretary of State, United States of America, 4 June, 1981. Shandor read the message a second time, then folded it carefully and placed it in his pocket. His forehead creased. I suppose you want the story to be big, he said dully. Hart's eyes gleamed a moment of triumph. As big as you can make it, he said eagerly. Don't spare time or effort, Tommy. You'll be relieved of all assignments until you have it done, if you'll take it. Oh, yes, said Chander softly. I'll take it. He landed the small PIB copter on an airstrip in the outskirts of Georgetown, haggled with security officials for a few moments, and grabbed an old weather-beaten cab, giving the address of the Ingersoll estate as he settled back in the cushions. A small radio was set inside the door. He snapped it on, fiddled with the dial until he found a PIB news report. And as he listened he felt his heart sink lower and lower and the old familiar feeling of dirtiness swept over him, the feeling of being a part of an enormous, overpowering scheme of corruption and degradation. The Berlin Conference was reaching a common meeting ground, the report said, with Russian, Chinese, and American officials making the first real progress in the week of talks, hope rising for an early armistice on the Indian front. Suddenly he hunched forward, blinking in surprise as the announcer continued the broadcast. The Secretary of State, David Ingersoll, was stricken with a slight head cold this evening on the eve of his departure for the Berlin Conference, and was advised to postpone the trip temporarily. John Harris Darby, first undersecretary, was dispatched in his place. Mr. Ingersoll expressed confidence that Mr. Darby would be able to handle the talks as well as himself, in view of the optimistic trend in Berlin last night. Shandor snapped the radio off viciously, a roar of disgust rising in his throat, cut off just in time. Lies, lies, lies. Some people knew they were lies. What could they really think? People like David Ingersoll's wife. Carefully he reined in his thoughts, channeled them. He had called the Ingersoll home the night before, announcing his arrival this morning. The taxi ground up the gravel driveway, stopped before an army jeep at the iron-grilled gateway. A security officer flipped a cigarette into the ground, shaking his head. Can't go in, secretary's orders. Shandor stepped from the cab, briefcase under his arm. He showed his card, scowled when the officer continued shaking his head. Orders say nobody. Look, blockhead, Shander grated. If you want to hang up by your toes, I can put through a special check line to Washington to confirm my appointment here. I'll also recommend you for the salt mines. 
the officer growled wise guy and shuffled into the guard shack minutes later he appeared again jerked his thumb toward the estate take off he said see that you check here at the gate before you leave he was admitted to the huge house by a stone-faced butler who led him through a maze of corridors into a huge dining-room morning sunlight gleamed through the glassed-in wall and shandor stopped at the door almost speechless he knew he'd seen the girl somewhere at one of the washington parties or in the newspapers her face was unmistakable it was the sort of face that a man never forgets once he glimpses it thin puckish with wide-set gray eyes that seemed both somber and secretly amused a full sensitive mouth and blonde hair exceedingly fine cropped close about the ears she was eating her breakfast a rolled-up newspaper beside her plate and as she looked up her eyes were not warm she just stared at shander angrily for a moment then sat down her coffee cup and threw the paper to the floor with a slam you're shander i suppose shander looked at the paper then back at her yes i'm tom shander but you're not mrs ingersoll a profound observation mother isn't interested in seeing anyone this morning particularly you she motioned to a chair you can talk to me if you want to shander sat down in the proffered seat struggling to readjust his thinking well he said finally i-i wasn't expecting you he broke into a grin but i should think you could help you know what i am trying to do i mean about your father i want to write a story and the logical place to start would be with his family the girl blinked wide eyes innocently why don't you start with the newspaper files she asked her voice silky you'd find all sorts of information about daddy there pages and pages no no i don't want that kind of information you're his daughter miss ingersoll you could tell me about him as a man something about his personal life what sort of man he was she shrugged indifferently buttered a piece of toast as shander felt most acutely the pangs of his own missed breakfast he got up at seven every morning she said he brushed his teeth and ate breakfast at nine o'clock the state department called for him shander shook his head unhappily no no that's not what i mean then perhaps you'd tell me precisely what you do mean her voice was clipped and hard shander sighed in exasperation the personal angle his likes and dislikes how he came to formulate his views his relationship with his wife with you he was a kind and loving father she said her voice mocking he loved to read he loved music oh yes put that down he was a great lover of music his wife was the apple of his eye and he tried for all the duties of his position to provide us with a happy home life miss ingersoll she stopped in mid-sentence her gray eyes veiled and shook her head slightly that's not what you want to hear either shander stood up and walked to a window looking out over the wide veranda carefully he snubbed his cigarette in an ashtray then turned sharply to the girl look if you want to play games i can play games too either you're going to help me or you're not 
It's up to you. But you forget one thing. I'm a propagandist. I might say I'm an expert propagandist. I can tell a true story from a false one. You won't get anywhere lying to me or evading me. And if you choose to try, we can call it off right now. You know exactly the type of information I need from you. Your father was a great man, and he rates a fair shake in the write-ups. I'm asking you to help me. Her lips formed a sneer. And you're going to give him a fair shake, I'm supposed to believe. She pointed to the newspaper. With garbage like that? Head cold? Her face flushed and she turned her back angrily. I know you're writing, Mr. Shander. I've been exposed to it for years. You've never written an honest, true story in your life, but you always want the truth to start with, don't you? I'm going to give you the truth and let you do what you want with it. Is that the idea? No dice, Mr. Shander. And you even have the gall to brag about it. Shander flushed angrily. You're not being fair. The story is going to press straight and true, every word of it. This is one story that won't be altered. And then she was laughing, choking, holding her sides, as the tears streamed down her cheeks. Shander watched her, reddening, anger growing up to choke him. I'm not joking, he snapped. I'm breaking with the routine, do you understand? I'm through with the lies now. I'm writing this one straight. She wiped her eyes and looked at him, bitter lines under her smile. You couldn't do it, she said, still laughing. You're a fool to think so. You could write it, and you'd be out of a job so fast you wouldn't even know what hit you. But you'd never get it into print, and you know it. You'd never even get the story to the inside offices. Shander stared at her. That's what you think, he said slowly. This story will get to the press if it kills me. The girl looked up at him, eyes wide, incredulous. You mean that, don't you? I never meant anything more in my life. She looked at him wonderingly, motioned him to the table, a faraway look in her eyes. Have some coffee, she said, and then turned to him, her eyes wide with excitement. The sneer was gone from her face, the coldness and hostility, and her eyes were pleading. If there were some way to do it, if you really meant what you said, if you'd really do it, give people a true story. Shander's voice was low. I told you I'm sick of this mill. There is something wrong with this country, something wrong with the world. There's a rottenness in it, and your father was fighting to cut out the rottenness. This story is going to be straight, and it's going to be printed if I get shot for treason. And it could split things wide open at the seams. She sat down at the table. Her lower lip trembled, and her voice was tense with excitement. Let's get out of here, she said. Let's go someplace where we can talk. They found a quiet place off the business section in Washington, one of the newer places with the small enclosed booths, catering to people weary of eavesdropping and overheard conversations. Shandor ordered beers, then lit a smoke and leaned back facing Ann Ingersoll. It occurred to him that she was exceptionally lovely, but he was almost frightened by the look on her face, the suppressed excitement, the cold, bitter lines about her mouth. 
incongruously the thought crossed his mind that he'd hate to have this woman against him she looked as though she would be capable of more than he'd care to tangle with for all her lovely face there was an edge of thin ice to her smile a razor-sharp dangerous quality that made him curiously uncomfortable but now she was nervous withdrawing a cigarette from his pack with trembling fingers fumbling with his lighter until he struck a match for her now he said why the secrecy she glanced at the closed door to the booth mother would kill me if she knew i was helping you she hates you and she hates the public information board i think dad hated you too shandor took the folded letter from his pocket then what do you think of this he asked softly doesn't this strike you a little odd she read ingersoll's letter carefully then looked up at tom her eyes wide with surprise so this is what that note was this doesn't wash tom you're telling me it doesn't wash nice wording i believe that man alone is qualified to handle this assignment why me and of all things why me alone he knew my job and he fought me and the pib every step of his career why a note like this she looked up at him do you have any idea sure i've got an idea a crazy one but an idea i don't think he wanted me because of the writing i think he wanted me because i'm a propagandist she scowled it still doesn't wash there are lots of propagandists and why would he want a propagandist shander's eyes narrowed let's let it ride for a moment how about his files in his office in the state department he didn't keep anything personal at home her eyes grew wide oh no he wouldn't have dared not the sort of work he was doing with his files locked under key and the key in the state department nothing could be touched without his knowledge but at home anybody might have walked in of course how about enemies did he have any particular enemies she laughed humorously name anybody in the current administration i think he had more enemies than anybody else in the cabinet her mouth turned down bitterly he was a stumbling block he got in people's way and they hated him for it they killed him for it shander's eyes widened you mean you think he was murdered oh no nothing so crude they didn't have to be crude they just let him butt his head against a stone wall everything he tried was blocked or else it didn't lead anywhere like this berlin conference it was a powder keg dad gambled everything on going there forcing the delegates to face facts to really put their cards on the table ever since the united nations fell apart in seventy two dad had been trying to get america and russia to sit at the same table but the president cut him out at the last minute it was planned that way to let him get up to the very brink of it then slap him down hard they did it all along this was just the last he could take shander was silent for a moment any particular thorns in his side and shrugged munitions people mostly dartmouth baring had a pressure lobby that was trying to throw him out of the cabinet the president sided with them but he didn't dare do it for the fear people would squawk he was planning to blame the failure of the berlin conference on dad and get him ousted that way shander stared 
but what if that conference fails we're in full-scale war of course that's the whole point she scowled at her glass blinking back tears dad could have stopped it but they wouldn't let him it killed him tom shander watched the smoke curling up from his cigarette look he said i've got an idea and it's going to take some fast work that conference could blow up any minute and then i think we're going to be in real trouble i want you to go to your father's office and get the contents of his personal file not the business files his personal files put them in a briefcase and subway express them to your home if you have any trouble have them check with pib we have full authority and i'm it right now i'll call them and give them the word then meet me here again with the files at seven thirty this evening she looked up her eyes wide what what are you going to do shander snubbed out his smoke his eyes bright i've got an idea that we may be on to something just something i want to check but i think if we work it right we can lay these boys that fought your father out by the toes end of section one